Good afternoon, all. We're in the middle of January. We still have crisis with COVID, but it ended in sight with the vaccine. Welcome to the Human Results Podcast. As always, we're joined by the HR expert, not just of Shropshire, but of the UK, Mr. Alistair Hobbs. Good afternoon, Alistair. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Ben, and thanks thanks for the generous introduction. <laughs> no problem. You know, you're well, very well respected locally and uh, becoming that nationally as well, as, as I gather from your cases uh, all over the country. Reason why we're doing this today is that we're entering a very interesting stage regarding the vaccine. And I've heard a few questions regarding uh, rights of people, um, rights of employers as well. So, Alistair, it's important everybody has the vaccine, but we do have people that are against having it. Yeah. What are the rules and regulations and guidance around these people being in offices? Because obviously we've got to be careful here because we don't want somebody coming in who has another vaccine and passing on the virus around others. Sure, sure. Well, it's not it's not an area which the government has had uh, had the opportunity yet to, or indeed necessarily desire to legislate on. So we've got to go on existing employment law. You have to ask yourself the question, if somebody was to refuse to, to vaccinate, is that going to be a failure to follow a reasonable instruction by their employer? There are examples of health reasons where perhaps a vaccination is not a good thing medically. You know, I don't know enough yet about the risks of the vaccine, but um, maybe pregnant women or um, some people with certain conditions. I mean, there's been some anecdotal evidence of of the vaccine not necessarily um, being too kind to, to some people. So there are there will be some health warnings attached to it. If somebody can justify a refusal on that basis, that would give them a decent argument that it wasn't failure to follow a reasonable instruction. So if that were the case, an employer would have to consider whether there was uh, some other substantial reason, some other substantive reason in which to um, in which to potentially terminate that employee's employment. If it's a straight refusal because of some kind of anti-vaccine vaccination conspiracy theory, then I have to say they wouldn't get a huge amount of sympathy with, with, with many employers and indeed hard to imagine many employment tribunals. I, th I think it, it could depend to a degree on the nature of the work. It's hard to imagine any reasonable justification for an anti-vaxxer working in a care home or, you know, in vulnerable people or indeed going into other people's houses. I mean, you know, it's like this Pimlico plumber chappy that's been on the telly again recently, you know, saying that he, he's requiring of staff to be vaccinated um, if they're going to work as plumbers for him. And I have some sympathy for that, for that uh, approach. You know, if you're sending a, a, a worker into somebody else's home for any period of time you, you, there's the potential for putting that household at risk as well as putting your workers health at risk and of course if they then go back to you know spread it amongst other workers so I mean it is a sensitive issue but I have some sympathy with that uh, if there's no obvious justification for saying no it could well be that uh, an employer will be able to terminate somebody's employment for failure to follow a reasonable instruction. And it is going to occur. We know it's going to occur. But I think it'll occur. Sure, there's a, there seems to be enough enough uh, anti-vaxxers out there. My mindset is very much um, show me the needle, and I'm not a big fan of uh, injections. It's been a few years since I've had one, but I'd be there as soon as my name gets called up, comes out of the hat, 
being the wrong side of 50, I'm hoping one of the perks will be that it'll be sooner rather than later. I think the key thing for me, Alistair, is that a lot of employers have gone to a lot of expense to make their places COVID safe, haven't Correct. they? Correct, yes, they have. If there's any evidence to support the fact that it will also reduce transmission, if, if, if by being vaccinated you actually also don't carry it and pass it on, then, you know, there's nothing better for the work environment. Never mind however many perspex screens you've whacked up and how many hand sanitizers next to every door handle you've installed and how many bits of sticky paper and, you know, transfers are on the walls and floor reminding people of the distances that they need to be and which side of the corridor they had to walk on. And you can do all those things, but um, really to get back to normality as much as possible, then yeah, you want people to not be in work with the virus. But of course, before anybody takes any actions, they need to take the advice, don't they? Because it's gonna, it is gonna be a gray area. Always very fact specific. Uh, any any tribunal dispute, Ben, is going to be fact specific. Not, not all will fit all. As I say, I think you can easily see that a care home uh, operator would have a much stronger desire to ensure that everybody was vaccinated because of the vulnerable nature of the of the residents in the home similarly if you're operating a domiciliary care business you know you've got your staff members flitting through however many homes a day visiting vulnerable people so uh, absolutely uh, where you can see them being uh, being in a stronger position than you know, somebody saying, you know, okay, I'm a, I don't want to take a vaccine, but I work as a forestry, you know, I work in the forestry or something. I'm outdoors. I don't see anybody from one one day to the next. I'm not going to get it easily because I'm not in contact. You know, the, the facts may be different, but I st- I still think that. Um, uh, there's going to be a, a degree of sympathy with any employer taking a view that um, if they've made their position clear, notwithstanding that an employee says no, um, there obviously there are conflicting rights here. There are employers' rights and there are employees' rights. And the employee has a right not to be discriminated against. If you introduce a policy that says we're going to dismiss all in this situation and it, it falls foul of somebody's uh, religious beliefs, uh, if they're belief system has a strong enough views that, uh, that, that that they shall not be vaccinated well obviously they have a degree of rights and that's where you're going to get disputes <laughs> yeah. that's where those disputes will arise yeah I think, I think as always it could be a costly experience so i think the best advice is to get into one of your retainer contracts so they get the best advice at least if you know that there's um an employment protection insurance policy that will hopefully step into the breach and uh, fight your corner for you there's a lot to be said for it yeah Definitely. and it'd be interesting to see how how that case law might develop um, certainly we've seen a significant increase in cases in tribunals in the last quarter uh, of last year something like best part of 30% rise that's only going to keep rising and I'm fairly sure there will be some reported cases soon enough on refusal to vaccination it'll be interesting to see as always as a lawyer you hope to learn by the outcomes of other cases rather than be the case that sets the precedent you know I don't want to discount employees own rights to say no to things that are relate to their to their physical and mental well-being. I think it's, um, you know, those are rights which have to be respected. 
but those competing rights have to, to have to also be respected from a society at large, and that includes the employers uh, and their clients, their customers, their service users. You know, those competing rights. As a matter of public policy, I, I think it's um, you would think that it would be in the in the best interest of the country for employers' rights and that of their service users, other staff that are potentially vulnerable, that, that those competing rights with individuals' rights to refuse a vaccine, for example, would be the greater, the greater public interest. It'll be interesting to see. There may well be circumstances where um, the individual's rights uh, will be respected, but I'll be interested to see the facts of that specific case when it happens. Interesting, a long way to go on that, no doubt. That was the main reason for the podcast today, of course. But I do feel we do have to touch on events. I think we've seen a major 24 hours on events with Glastonbury cancelling. It does, yes, seem- James Bond being pushed back again. No yeah. great shock there, but um, Daniel Craig is going to be uh, drawing his pension by the time that film rolls out and his successor <laughs> is announced. But yes, it's been, um, I mean, Glastonbury, no great shock, was it? I suppose. I mean, it's June, isn't it, Glastonbury? It is, yeah. Of course, a lot of the issue with the events, Alistair, is that the people that are going to attend aren't going to be vaccinated till September, are they? No, that's right. I, I guess that the large percentage of people at Glastonbury are, are younger than uh, the, the, are in the younger age groups, yes. So I suppose that they won't be vaccinated by June. What's your feeling about, obviously, we see each other at local events, things like food festivals, beer festivals. What's your feelings on those? Well, I, I know we're all desperate to see the return to some sort of normality and those kind of gentle leisure pursuits uh, with the family are great fun, aren't they? A lot of people like them. Great for the local economy, great for small food producers and small businesses and, and indeed the events industry. If you're asking me uh, as a matter of my own view on it, I think really until I've had the vaccine or at least the first jab three weeks before I'd probably start I'd probably still be anxious about wandering around notwithstanding a mask I think if especially on a busy in a busy event even outdoors I think that kind of anxiety will take a while to come back hopefully by August maybe the Chancellor will be doing the ETEC to help out kind of schemes again and that certainly seemed to help people overcome anxieties last summer we then had the the much uh, the much expected second wave which are now and then subsequently at christmas you know the the next variant of the covid virus which seems to spread all the more easily so i think that this lockdown uh, a lot of people are very jaded by it i think a lot of people have been concerned enough to be you know to be sticking to it um, whereas back in the lockdown in November, in the, in England anyway, I think a lot of people weren't. You see a few ridiculous stories like that wedding attended by 400 people at a school in London I just read about this morning. I mean, that is just extraordinary. And what a selfish, selfish act, the organisers of that, and indeed the host, the landlord. Yeah. I mean, the school governors are denying all knowledge of it and are saying how poor, how poor they are of it. But somebody who had a key legitimacy for that, uh, has been involved in that. And it's just been done for financial gain. But the 400 attendees, frankly, should know better. 
when the likes of Rita Ora think it's okay to go and have a 30th birthday party with 30 guests attending. How many people in the country have had to cancel wedding plans, cancel parties and things to do the right thing? You get you get that strong feeling that somebody who thinks I can afford a 10 grand fine and I'm going to have it hell no high water because I'm not prepared to and, and to adhere to the rules, I think just utterly selfish. I think one of the first things we'll see back at uh, uh, exhibitions and, and expos on, on, on a small scale as, as test events. I think that's probably the best the best place to start. To get the I business. hope so, Ben, and hopefully by March. Obviously, you know, schools uh, schools have to go back first. I think schools and colleges were a big catalyst, weren't they, in September, October for the numbers going up again. That's had a big hand in it. Certainly locally, students coming back and uh, and spreading it and students of course going to colleges all over the country from wherever they're living that's a catalyst and they'll they'll be aware that uh, they'll be acutely aware of the government that's probably the case again so you know they've really got to get a handle on the r rate before um, schools and colleges go back and i don't see the pubs opening anytime until well after schools are back don't you i think schools will be east I'm honest with you, at any serious uh, rate, I can see them having another half term off. And I think the hospitality industry will be around about the same time. Maybe during the Easter holidays, the hospitality industry will be open, encouraging families in bubbles, maybe. I can't see schools going back in three weeks like they're expecting, to be honest with you. I'd be very, very surprised at that. But I mean, yes. I do think, you know, I, do, I mean, we've been homeschooling six and eight year old and, and it's difficult, but I do think that we're lucky to have a six and eight year old because... They're learning new experiences, whereas I think people... That, I've got a 15-year-old son that lives with an ex-partner. He's just come to exam year next year. I think that's the generation that's suffering at the moment because of exams are obviously high-pressured. Well, we've had yeah, two years now where, um, where, where school's been badly disrupted. You know, my daughter missed her GCSEs last year. My son was supposed to be doing common entrance exams and that, 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 that was scrapped. My son just commented this morning that he's not, he's not really enjoying homeschooling at the moment uh, and he's doing well he's he's you know he's doing well he's coping well really but I just think that like working from home here you know you're sitting in front of a zoom screen sitting in front of video conferencing day in day out you know you, you, your sports afternoon still in the timetable but in fact you can't do anything with it he's not he needs to interact with his friends it's not just about the, it's not just about the academics, is it? It's all that all they're missing out on on the you know on the football fields on the all of that social interaction and play with pals, you know. Let me ask you this, Alistair, because obviously when times are good, you're heavily involved in recruiting, etc., and, and contracts for people. How do you think in, in two or three years' time it's going to sit when students do go for interviews and they say? What's your exam results? Say, I, I am a, co, a student affected by the COVID crisis. How do you think employers then have to sit down and assess that? I suppose it depends in the context. If you mean that somebody's saying, I didn't do as well in the assessed results as I could have done in the exam, well, I think I'd have some sympathy with that. They're typically based on things like mock exams, knowing from my own school days how much of a crammer I was in the last week's before exams, you know, you, it, it, you do go from a very zero to hero, you know, quite, quite, quite easily, you know, just by cramming in the knowledge, you know. So I think if you're getting based and assessed on, on mocks that perhaps would have ordinarily have taken place at the beginning of January after Christmas, well, 
how many kids have got the discipline to spend their two weeks of their Christmas holidays beavering away on the books. Chances are they're flying into their mock exams, having hardly looked at anything for four weeks. So, you know, I th- I, yes, I think that I think it, I'd like to think employers would have a, have a degree of sympathy for that. But equally, if they've got a candidate who's got excellent results, who's gone through the same thing, you've got to base your, your assessment on something, haven't you? So, yeah. Interesting, interesting um, times to go. As a recruiter, I don't just look for exam results. I'm, you know, I'm looking for other other aspects of uh, uh, of somebody's makeup. You know, I don't don't necessarily look for uh, purely strong academics. Yeah. Well, I think also I think it'll it'll show the the capability and the adaptability of people as well. If they say, well, I, I was I did I got these during COVID. I had to, I didn't do exams. I had to do the, the coursework build up or the mock exams or or etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You can say, well, okay, they're adaptable, so maybe they'll fit into your business a lot better. Okay, well, Alistair, look, that's a great round up. I think we've discovered, covered a lot there. And this is going to be your first podcast on Amazon. You're going to be launched on Amazon later on today, just to let you know, which you were unaware. Uh, oh, okay. Marvellous. Does that mean I can be delivered within 24 hours free of charge? <laughs> I'll let the customers decide that. Brilliant. I say, as always, thank you for the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Cheers.